0: Welcome, welcome. You guys hear me okay? Great, excellent. Welcome to the very first, this is really exciting, uh, reInvent underrepresented tech panel. So, give everyone a hand for us actually having this and being here. That's pretty phenomenal. Um, So, let me first introduce myself. I am Tara Walker. I am a technical evangelist, and if you guys uh, don 't know what that means, um, I can 't pray over you or save your soul. I am just a software engineer that actually also talks to people. so if you were looking for <laughs> if you were looking for some kind of saving, um, you 're in the wrong place. but i 'm glad you're here nonetheless. Um, today the diversity reinvent diversity series is kicking off with some fantastic things i definitely want you guys to know with the we power tech program First of all, all of you that are here, you all are phenomenal, but we love you so much. Well, the diversity and training team also loves you so much that make sure you scan your badge because all of you all would get a free cert, tech cert to be able to take and some free training because you're here. So that's really fantastic that they're doing that. So don't forget, you'll get an email, make sure they swiped your badge, go run and grab them if you did not do that. Um, Another thing I wanted to really kind of talk to you about Ah look at the slide change that 's wonderful, um, <clears throat> other than the tech power tech. you can go ahead and change one more time. I want to talk about our esteemed panel i 'm um, really excited to have these guys up on stage with me. They are a fantastic group of people i 've had the opportunity to have be on a panel with at least two of them before, and so I think you all will enjoy this conversation as they really talk about what it means to be underrepresented in tech and how really empowering diversity in tech is good for us all. So with that, I am going to stop running my mouth and first let you guys introduce yourselves. Um, Asmael, take it away.
1: Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, so my name is Asmael Ahmed and I am the founder and engineer of a tech startup called Plum Perfect. It's a visual search engine, and we have an hour so I can share more about that with you. But I also lead um, digital innovation at Capital One. I am a chemical engineer by training, so I am not a developer, um, and um, I have an MBA and transitioned from engineering to fintech to startups back to FinTech and kind of do everything. So I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to share my experiences with you guys and learn from you as well. Oh,
2: excellent. Hello, my name is Ruben Ortega and I have been working a long time. Uh, I spent nine years at Amazon. I was uh, the CTO of A9. Uh, the project I left Amazon was Mechanical Turk. So I have, you know, some AWS experience. Uh, since that point, I spent a couple of years at Google, a year at Nordstrom, a year at the Allen Institute of Art- Artificial Intelligence, and most recently, I've been helping uh, Pinterest start its office in Seattle. And in starting that office, we've had a great success in Bringing diversity and inclusiveness and the word that I've been you know loving is the you know making sure that the people we hire have a sense of belonging at the company and it's been uh, a great uh, part of that journey to learn the technology learn how to manage people and then learn how to manage people well so you make it a more inclusive environment
3: awesome good afternoon my name is molly q ford i'm the director of global equality programs at salesforce and at salesforce we have four pillars of equality that's equal pay equal opportunity equal rights and equal education i uh, stumbled into my role into equality I actually was a pr person tenured probably 15 or 20 years and i was working on programs to just advance women And I also created the uh, Dreamforce Equality Summit. So a day of programming where you look on stage and those AI experts or C-suite leaders just happen to look like me and you and other people that were diverse or had diverse backgrounds, members of the LGBTQ community. So that's kind of how I parlayed a passion that I had to really make some change and, and, you know, really just be able to feel included and look around a room and see people like me. And that led to a full-time job. And now we have an Office of Equality at Salesforce.
0: Excellent. So you did a perfect transition. We didn't plan this, but it was perfect. Because my next question was if you guys could just tell everyone how you got into really championing diversity and inclusion in tech. So you just kind of did that for me. But if Ruben, you would uh, go ahead and tell us about your story.
2: Um, it's, it's really simple. Uh, it, it has to do with, you know, why did we start this? You know, why did you, why did you get into technology? And, and the reason I got into technology is because you could have impact. Uh, I was writing software at first that was uh, helping uh, air traffic collision avoidance software. software, So helping people not get into plane accidents. And then I went to Amazon and I was able to impact everybody's search results. So the technology I built impacted, you know, billions of searches and made billions of dollars for Amazon. And and when I looked around at my colleagues, there was nobody I had gone to grade school with. There, you know, Basically, I had gone to school with people named Mary and John, and it wasn't until later that I realized that their last names were Delgado, Cisneros, and there was, there was a vacuum. And so um, I wanted to, you know, the, the reason why it became important to me is that in working in technology, I got to deliver some awesome things. Uh, I've been able to build some great teams, and been able to make a lot of people a lot of money, and why aren't the people that I went to school with participating in all of that, in the joy of creation, in the joy of making money, in the joy of just getting all the benefits of being a technologist. And so I, got in, I started paying more attention to it when I realized, as I got into management, and realized there was a vacuum, and unless we started being intentional about it, uh, there, the vacuum would remain.
1: So, aside from being a black woman in tech and really having no choice but to be an advocate for it, um, like you, Ruben, I I wanted to innovate. I wanted to innovate through technology, and it was my passion to do that. And I can say that all through college and starting out um, from a young age all through college, I did that almost in a vacuum. Um, And like most of us here, excelled academically, all of that stuff and never really felt the impact of what it was like to be a black woman in tech until I started working, right? And I was working in an environment where there were mostly men and mostly white men. Um, and that was, it was the very, very first time I felt that imposter syndrome um, of do I really belong here? And, um, and then it started affecting my performance um, but, I knew I was smarter than how I was performing at work um, and and it you know it really having no choice was it occurred to me that if I had more people around me that looked like me, so that I felt included um, and people that were my bosses um, that looked like me, so I felt like there was a path to success um, for me in this organization, or people that did not have a mental barrier in imagining me as a leader in my organization or giving me the benefit of the doubt. All of those things that we take for granted, that I took for granted from a very, very young age, um, I couldn't take for granted anymore. So it was um, necessary for me to advocate for myself and to advocate for my colleagues that looked like me um, so that we could succeed, and then I can share more about like what it was like running a tech startup, raising money um, from venture capitalists, going out and selling a product that is an entirely different uh, experience uh, where every day you have as a black woman, I got the opportunity to how do I say this delicately I got the opportunity to present myself in the best possible light because I didn't have a choice other than to do that. Um, And so, yeah, so that was my reason. Tara?
0: (laughs) Well, that was another good segue. Let's talk about, um, I think to really challenge issues that we face in tech or other things, we have to kind of hit them head on. And what I want to talk about today is some of the challenges that maybe exist and biases that exist in tech and, you know, how you overcame them and things of that nature. And I'll, I'll even start off with a story of my own. Uh, you guys kind of know this story. Uh, my I, for those of you guys who don't know, I worked for Microsoft for about 12 years um, before coming to AWS. And so this was during a time I'm about to tell my age. Okay, here we go. This is during a time where uh, .NET was just becoming a thing. I won't any more than that and <laughs> so um they were sending us engineers out you know this was just when they were even trying to think of there wasn't really per se a evangelist role but they were sending us as engineers out into the wild to go and talk to people about the clr and what it meant for this new language i really am dating myself and things of that nature and so i am from the south i live in atlanta so i'm on east coast time and yes you've probably heard my drawl. so i was in Atlanta, they said, hey, you go to South Carolina. We want you to talk about the CLR and how we have interfaced SQL into it. All right, no problem. I will pick up my little book bag and I'll head there. So I walk into this big conference room. It's bigger than this. And it was like an auditorium. So you had to walk down You know how auditoriums go into the, into the stage. So I come with my little backpack and I'm ready to go. And I start to walk in the doors and walk down the stairs. And this guy starts to run toward me, I mean, full force, yelling, stop, what are you doing, stop. And I'm like, he's talking to me, that's me, he's talking to you. So I kind of freeze, and he goes, hey, you can't clean up in here, we're waiting on the Microsoft person. So at this point, I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do here, maybe there's someone, because you had this kind of moment where you're like, someone's behind me. Right? Because it's not me he's really talking to. So I literally, you know, backpack and all, and I kind of look like I have a look now. I mean, I probably looked a little better. I actually wore slacks then when I, you know, cared about people, you know, look how I looked. Um, But, you know, so I looked around. It's no way around. And I kind of freeze because it's that aha moment that he is talking to me. And he says, he's still rushing toward me. Did you hear me? Um, You cannot clean up in here. We're waiting on the Microsoft person yeah, he's talking to me. This, this is real. This is happening. So I I just, like I said, I just freeze and he now is really close to me and he's like, what are you doing? Did you not hear me? I said, yeah, I heard you and he said, you know, what are you doing in here? You can't clean up in here? Are you here for some other purpose? We're about to have, a, you know, a conference or a seminar or whatever I was doing at the time in here and I said, yeah, I heard you. You said you were waiting on the Microsoft person. That's right. So, you know, you're gonna have to go. I said, Well, I am the Microsoft person, and his he kind of turned a couple of different shades of red. But, uh, and of course, being me, being me, you know, I had to get on stage and I had to start off by going, and yes, I am the Microsoft people, obviously, you know, people don't think that Microsoft people look like me, but here I am. And I realized at that moment, this wasn't my first moment of experiencing bias. But that was the one moment that I remember even years now that was so obvious that, wow, the way I look, no matter how smart I am, no matter how many degrees I have, when I walked in the door, all that person saw was um, a person that should be cleaning up. And that's when I realized that if not enough people look like us, are in the field, that what affects that. So I'm gonna put you on the spot because you started it out. As, as a you, you talked about being a founder and, um, you know, an engineer and a digital founder. Kind of talk to us about the challenges you face um, with bias, somewhat probably unconscious, um, but still facing one as a founder. You also, you know, lead a product team. But tell us about being a startup and going out there and as a founder and the different biases you face um, going out there trying to kick sure. off your product. Sure.
1: Um, so I'll start with a statistic, um, and this was done by Project Di- um, Digital Undivided, led by a good friend, Catherine Feeney. Project, Di- and if you guys don't know the report, check it out. There, in 2014, there were um, 11 Black women that had raised VC money over a million dollars. 11, and. Um, I was one of the 11 and I was getting, like when the report came out, I was getting, hey, congratulations, congratulations. And it came at a really bad time. I was going through like one of the down times of a startup. Um, And that stat, that number is horrible. One million dollars. If you've run a startup, you know that you can run through a million dollars in three months and only 11 of us. All right, so. Remember that while I tell you guys the story. By the way, I've heard that story from Tara before, and each time I hear it, I get angrier, right? Because, like, just, I don't know if you guys, like, today and yesterday, just walking from the gym back to my room, I cannot tell you, I think I got stopped twice um, with people asking if I, like, well, I was shopping. I stopped to shop. <laughs> and um, this, the like, and this happens to us all the time, right? Hey, do you work here? Do you work here? I'm like, the next time anybody asks me if I work here, I'm going to scream. Um, but that's the reality of living in this skin and in this body and going through life. Um, okay, so startup. Um, I built Plum Perfect's visual search engine, built the first version of the technology. Um, Filed patents, began making some money. I knew that before I went out to see VCs, I had to give them every reason to say yes to me um, and no reason to say no. Um, Before every VC meeting, I would study like I was studying for a final examination. I would know all of their portfolio companies, who they invested in. I would change my pitch to be exactly what I think would appeal to that particular investor, et cetera. I would go into meetings, and I could tell that there was this moment, because from my name, you can't really tell what I am, right? Asmao Ahmed, most people think I'm a Middle Eastern guy, perhaps, just by looking at my name. Um, so I would go into these meetings, and you could, I, you could, you know how you can tell when, like, an interview is going bad? I could just tell that there was that moment of, oh, that wasn't what we were expecting. And in a meeting where you have like, critical, really critical decisions are made in the first, like, you have 15 minutes to make an impression. And if somebody across the table from you is spending that first two, three, five minutes adjusting um, to the fact that they're seeing a black woman and trying to reconcile, like, hey, this is what resume says versus this is what she looks like, um, that's critical time lost. So what I used to do is I would send my resume and my exec summary ahead of time. I would make sure my picture was included there. Um, I got less meetings than I was getting blindly, um, but I got meetings with people that would give me the time of day and people that wanted to invest in me and were interested in the business. Um, Most people think that raising money is a, an indication of success for a startup. Yeah, it's a huge milestone. And only 11 of us had done it, so I am very proud of that. However, um, there are, once you raise money, that's when the real work starts. You have to go out in there, in the real world, you have to sell. You, you put away your engineering hat right now, right? You have to go there, interact with clients, interact with customers, you have to sell. And I was selling a technology that was in the fashion, beauty, home, decor space, and I shared with Ruby some of my insecurities with that. Um, But a tech product to these uh, people. And going out and being a black woman, representing all of those was really tough to do. Um, To the point where earlier investors in my company realizing how difficult it was for me to go out and raise funds began thinking okay began realizing and i knew the moment they started realizing that she was a much higher risk investment than i thought than i realized right and then how do you how do you reconcile that because these are people that invested in you and trusted in you but obviously they have to show a return on their investments but just by virtue of being in this skin and this gender, you have much more. You have a harder road or had a path to take than others. So, those are some of the, you know, the initial biases with just not knowing and the the stereotypes. So it wasn't it was it wasn't overt. Um, and then the biases that you face from even people that initially advocated for you, right? Um, so. Lots of stories to tell there, but that's, that's, uh, that's the beginning.
0: Does <laughs> anyone else like to share uh, an experience and how has it impacted your ability to see or how you kind of overcame it?
2: I will, I, hello. No, I just, you know, I, I will cede the time here because as the palest person here and the most male here, uh, I, I, I only get to see it secondhand. Uh, My my experience, uh, and I'll be brief, my experience at Pinterest uh, has been a lot about one of the things that I've been learning to do there is is, uh, I learned to teach the unconscious bias class. And they were giving all the statistics and studies about you know you send a resume with your name out versus a resume with my name out and I'll get more you know I'll get more callbacks and all the research and, and you see the and if you're a woman getting evaluated in in, in tech uh, and I'm not going to mansplain this to anybody but if you're a woman getting evaluated in tech you'll get always get comments about you know personality versus I'll get comments about performance you know your work was aggressive and your work being, and you being aggressive would be a negative. And so it was it, this whole past year has been an amazing education into spaces i 'm unfamiliar with and 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 it's been it's been part of the the goals of the company has been you know how how do we be intentional how do we you know you know and so I have not had the experiences of the the panel, and i'm actually overjoyed to be the you know the only effectively white person on this panel, and I will just cede my time to you if you have any further stories. Because, But you know, as, as a witness to you know, what happens on the other side of it, it's been uh, shocking.
3: Um, for me, I think it's mostly been, you actually talked about it, <clears throat> it's been the struggle with letting other people define me in terms of those performance reviews, those things. You know, for example, I'm bossy. I've been bossy since I was two right? So when, and I call it leadershipy now, but it's like, when you, when you come into corporate America, people quickly, Oh, she's too aggressive. She's too this, she's too that. And then it took my brother to explain to me, he's like, no, no, we have a family joke. You ask my brother what his name is and that I answer. So people just look at me, you ask him a question, look at me. And so I said, wow, how quickly that became like something funny or something that I was known for all of a sudden got labeled on me as negative. Right. And I really call it like shot collar. Like, I like a decision to be made. I like something to happen. And that I quickly fell into a manager who's like, mm, you're too bossy. You're too aggressive. You're not leaving enough room for everyone else. And I was like, oh, you mean you. you know, no, no one else complained. You mean you. Um, so I think it's like really making sure that you're not letting people define you. And really kind of having those conversations. And I'll admit, I think my biggest regret was that I was never able to say to that boss who was giving me those performance reviews that I was too aggressive or that I was like, he called me moody. And I was like, really? I'm moody? And I thought, I'm not moody. And that, that to him was sass. And we all know what sass means when you're talking to a big old black girl. <laughs> I know what you meant. You know what I mean? So it's like just making sure that you're not letting people use their biases to label who you are.
0: Oh, great feedback. Um, Ruben, you know, you've know you been in the industry quite a long time. You've done a bunch of different roles. You've been in a bunch of different companies. You've kind of swam the ocean in technology right now. Um, would you kind of tell us a little bit more about, or your unique ability of how a culture, and you've been, like I said, around a bunch of different companies, kind of def- defines what inclusion looks like at that company. So the culture of the company, um, how does it define inclusion and does it help or aid or deter it? You, you've got, again, like I said, you've been around a bunch of different companies. I think you have a good vantage point at this.
2: Most companies have been unintentional uh, about what, how, they, how they picked an organization. My advice to, to any engineer has always been look at the top of the organization, the top of the organization reflects who's successful there. If you look at the top of Amazon, it's all product people. It's not good or bad. It's just, you know, books, music, video. You know, it's it's a fairly neutral environment. And and you know, I did well there because I worked on a search engine. Um, if you go, I worked at Google. If you look at the top of the organization, the top of the organization is mostly individual contributors. Uh, the top of the path was led to by Jeff Dean and Sanjay and you know, you know, they, they value themselves as being a meritocracy. However, it's also a bit of a monotone because of the way they you know there was very heavily referral based they picked a lot of people out of Stanford University of Washington and they would it, it became effectively a monoculture which is why they're struggling to this, to this day to try to to try to be more diverse uh, with Pinterest, the top the, the the founders of the organization were pretty deliberate about how they would go about recruiting, and not only because it you know because diversity helped the product, but it actually was exhibited. It's been exhibited in the product itself. Uh, the the anecdote that we have from inside has been at one point uh, well th- they were intentional about hiring diversely. Um, they hired me because they were they were hoping I'd do the same thing in Seattle. And our success in Seattle has been that for you know 20 plus engineer office we are 45 percent women and 20. 25% underrepresented minorities. And that's been deliberate. It, it, it's deliberate. It took me going out and asking our sources and recruiters, get me the names of anybody you think may be a, a diverse candidate, and I will do the first contact. I'll be the first person to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm interested in having a coffee with you. Let's talk. And it may be just networking, and it may be a recruiting pitch, but it was, you know, it was very deliberate, and I was encouraged by the organization to do that. And the results have been, you know, the product gets better. It's not just hiring for hiring's sake. At, at one point, somebody uh, who, who's from, that we hired a woman from Spain was looking at the way we were doing search results. Saw the reference to the word tortilla, and you immediately it was a mistake to do that in Spain because in Spain a tortilla is an omelet. And you know, it's just an anecdote. It's just one little snippet. But it's you know, if you hire people from different backgrounds, if you hire people from different parts of the world, if you hire people from different organizations, if you hire people from different. Uh, uh, Backgrounds, you will get a different product. Uh, We're standing on the shoulders of giants with AWS because Amazon, uh, you know, because Pinterest is uh, our entire infrastructure is on AWS. But that allows us to hire a bunch of machine learning experts who are now building, you know, visual discovery engines. This has to do with you know not just diversity of background and gender, but you know diversity of people you're hiring. And so it's been it's been fairly deliberate on what we're doing, and the experiment so far has been working out really well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, can anyone else share how a diverse organization has affected the way you hire or how you hire diverse talent, it being unique in the Im- impact it has?
3: Absolutely. For us, we've um, at Salesforce just instituted what we call the five inclusive hiring principles. And our goal there was to eliminate all of the biases, right? And admittedly so, Salesforce's has years been a company that hired on culture. So it was very easy to say you're not a culture fit, mm. and then we said, "Well, well, what is that? Right? Isn't that just some?" way to include bias. So we basically said a manager now defines the core competencies to which they're hiring towards. And it's like, what are the skill sets you're looking for? And then what are the five to 10 questions that everyone throughout the interview panel has to ask this person? You can ask it in your own way, but this is what you should be looking for in this candidate. And then how does that process where you you know move a candidate forward or decline them, how is that systematic across the board? So by saying, like, here's five inclusive hiring practices, Giving them the principles, starting with educating the managers, we're starting to look at how that goes because a big part of it is we wanted our diverse candidates to feel like they could, um, I mean, our diverse employees feel like they could refer their candidates and friends. And we didn't hear this, well, you never call my people back. You never call my friend back. Well, that person was skilled and that's who you hired. So we wanted to be able to eliminate that because I can't ask you as a diverse employee to tap into your network and then disrespect your network. Right. Your friends don't want to work there. Now you don't want to work here. Right. So that was one of the things we decided we definitely had to stamp out. And I mean, unconscious bias gets such a bad rap. But we feel like especially training. Right. It gets such a bad rap. But anybody who works at a corporate company knows we train you on security and trust. Right. We train you on sexual harassment. So why shouldn't we be training you on unconscious bias, right? Whether you paid attention or not, you took the training or the course, or in the case of Salesforce, you can do online learning or you can show up to a course. Um, but we wanted to invest and signal to our employees that this is of paramount. This is important to us. So it's one of the ways we want to make sure hiring is more inclusive.
1: So, um, I'll add that Capital One recruited me. Um, and was deliberate in recruiting me and looking for me as a black woman. And the expectation was that I would come in um, and build a diverse team. And I don't, and no, nobody here should expect any one organization to solve the ills of society. It's just not possible. My criteria for joining Capital One was can I be heard? Will I have a voice? right? If, can I have uncomfortable discussions with people about bias and about race and about the fact that if I hire a black woman, it may take a little longer for her to get, feel included. Can I have those conversations? And when the answer was a resounding yes for me, I decided um, to join. Now, in terms of recruiting, Capital One has taken a, a different approach in terms of identifying Um, women and minorities at a much younger age. We sponsor Girls Who Code, Women Who Code. Um, We have um, tech meetups um, all the time and invite people in and that's why we want them to be in an environment amongst their peers um, where they can get to showcase their talent and what they're passionate about, build relationships with them. Um we have also like coding universities, so we have a ton of events where we identify women and minorities and bring them into Capital One. Most people think of Capital One as a credit card company, and I think that 's a branding you know change that needs to happen but and really, at its core, we are a tech company and so when we bring candidates in, we want them to get a feel for that we're we 're selling as much as we are recruiting. And um, so that's a very, very key part of our recruiting. Um, we also have, as leaders in the organization, we have the power and the ability to share with our recruiters that we are looking for diverse talent. I did that recently. I said, I'm looking for more women and I'm looking for more people of color. Please bring this talent my way. And, and we have the ability to hold our recruiters accountable. Um, and that's not frowned upon. and That's a good thing.
0: So um, piggybacking on that question and some of the responses you guys had, you said I was going to throw out statistics, so yes. oh, I'm going to even though my brain is dead because you, you challenged me. Um, so one of the statistics, if you look at the Department of Labor um, from, they do studies obviously of demographics of, you know these are people that are in engineering, this is this age demographic, blah, 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 right? So from 2014 to 2016, I don't have the latest data as yet, as yet, Um, they found that uh, women and persons of color, their degrees in STEM fields, uh, but I'll segment out technology, um, had grown exponentially, both in not only just undergrad bachelor's degrees, but also in higher end degrees. But what they found was between 2014 and 2016, that the number of diverse candidates, either being um, people of color or women, still was either flat or had even digressed. Uh, Do you all have any feedback about that? So we talked about the different practices of you guys really getting diverse talent in the door, but how do you really make that change, even though we have people that are coming out that have, at least from the start, the degrees or the education to get that foot in the door, but those numbers are remaining flat over the course of uh, four years. And the last statistic I threw out is that they found uh, over a study from Harvard, it was Harvard, Princeton, and a bunch of other academics, that the demographic of hiring biases have not changed in 20 years. We haven't made uh. any, you know, and obviously tech is a microcosm of the world. So how do you get, we have, we talked about all these now great diverse people that we can learn so much from, how do we get that needle change? since now we know the talent is, is out there? Because you mentioned recruiters, so I had to throw out the Democrats this time. So,
2: so, so the, I, the, the, root of the, the root of the answer is, does your leadership care? Uh, do they care if this is something important to them? Um, and, and it's as simple as that. There's no playbook for it. And it, you know, if you were here for the previous panel, uh, it's really easy when you start off diverse. Uh, there was this uh, the one, one uh, I forget, uh, I.O. Pipe, I forget what the, the one uh, previous panelist here, uh, said they started off with uh, four, four women Force, uh, uh, formerly cisgen, formerly cis women, and it was just the, the the company was diverse, even at a size of ten, which meant it was very easy for them to go and you know mine their networks and already pull in the diverse, pull, already pull in that diverse set. Uh, Pinterest. We have public. St- in 2016, we started publicly publicly stating what our goals would be. In 2014, we started reporting it. 2016, we said we're going to have 25% women and 8% underrepresented minorities. Uh, to our not discredit, but you know, we're we're trying to at least hold that line to at least have a hiring goal, and we're trying to be as transparent as possible to raise the visibility of it as an issue. Um, but as to you know, how do you you know even with all that engagement, it's still hard to to lift the numbers because once you're Have that established as a percentage? It's hard to move the numbers because you're building off those referral networks you already have.
0: Anyone else want to share any thoughts about that? I just want.
3: I just love this. um, It's an NPR interview from I think it's like two or three years old, and it talks about. Uh, what happened to women in coding, right? And it shows like a picture of a Bell Labs, and we're probably not, none of us are old enough to have worked at Bell Labs, but Bell Labs, and it's all the women coding and processing, right? And then it's a really interesting story because it says, these are women at a time entering the workforce, and they're taking on all these sciences degrees, right? Computer science, physical science, whatever. And then all of a sudden, computer science drops off. It drops off heavily and they they attributed it to two things right so one of the things was when you went to mit or harvard or carnegie mellon there was a prerequisite you need to have already known how to code before you show up on day one so the story follows these women that said i showed up in the class and felt like i was behind or how come i didn't know and the second thing the the um, podcast talks about is how Computers were marketed, and when they said, well, we need to put computers in a home, do we put it in the, so when we market them and sell them at a toy store, do we put it in the pink aisle or the blue aisle? So as you can guess, they went to the blue aisle. And so you had these boys learning, you know, and I remember it was Christmas 1983. I got a record player. My brother got a Commodore 64, right? And that was no bias of my parents. They just thought, hmm, he'll like that. She'll like this. So I think what tech is doing is tech is playing a serious game of catch-up. Right. And now we can all look at all these Fortune 500 companies and they all have these models of stereotypes of what they should hire. Right. If I get this white cisgender male from these three schools, they'll be successful. And now we're having to challenge tech to say, look for someone with a different background, look for someone with a different path. I didn't say lower the standard. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't say lower the standard. I mean, you can find someone who's great in financial services. Look at the sister here. Right. And see how that correlates to tech right? So I think tech is playing a serious game of a 20-year pipeline that they have not nurtured, have not grown, and then you read the headlines and you see how abrasive and aggressive tech can be, right? So then you look at people who go, well, why would I want to do that? But I think the other thing, talking about how Capital One is a tech company, I was talking to a group of um, girls and one girl said, yeah, my mom's pushing me to tech, but you know, I really want to bake. I really want to cook. I want to be a chef. And I said, well, Every tech, I mean, said every company, I said, I just bought a Weber grill. How did I learn how to grill? I downloaded their app. The app taught me something. So I said, every company is a tech company now. Every company has an app. So that's how we need to encourage this path to tech, that there's an opportunity and room for everyone.
0: I love that. Uh, so what defines success in five years? I'm going to put every last one of you guys in the spot. If We know that it'll be you know, a tough <laughs> road to move tech, but what defines success for you guys in five years? What what will determine, hey, we're really making a difference, even if it's like my uncle used to say, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. I'm sorry, I'm Southern. We have lots of sayings. but <laughs> um, So, you know, what do you define then as success in five years? What will you be able to say, hey, this made a difference of changing that, demographic issue that we have.
1: I'll go first. Um, so Molly mentioned earlier that she was like always, always been the boss, right? A leadership. A bossy. <laughs> leadership. Whatever. Um, I'm kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum. I think that I am a leader but I'm introverted. And uh, I am, no, no one I think would describe me as um, aggressive. What I was getting on the other end was, she's quiet, maybe she doesn't know a lot. Right? It was more, maybe she's quiet because she doesn't know what to say. Um, but to answer your question, I just wanted to make a comment, about that. <laughs> because it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you are, right? There isn't that stereotype of, hey, you know, aggressive black woman. There's also the other end of the spectrum, and I don't think that there's a generalization. Um, for me, success in five years, I have a little girl, so I'm going to get a little soft on you guys. Um, and my perspective um, with my young daughter was that I hope that she grows up in an environment where she can just go to work and be herself. Like, I don't want to be the black woman. I don't want to be the only black woman. You know, I just don't, I'm tired of it. Like, I just want to be the innovator, the engineer, I want to reach my potential in me. I don't want that label. So for me, it would be great and awesome if it happens in five years that we don't have to carry on that label and keep... I I think what we're doing here is great. I think that we need to fight the fight and we need to advocate because bias does exist. But I hope we get to a point where we don't have to. Um, That's one. The two is, I was recently on the panel Um, with a brilliant woman from Hired and she had run some statistics um, where you guys know the Hired platform, right? Do you guys know it? So Hired is an open like it's a marketplace for I think they've expanded to other talents but mainly engineers and you get to state how much you think you're worth right and then they track how much people say they're worth versus how much people offer them. Generally women say they're worth less than men black woman, even less, and black women in general earn $70, 70 cents to the dollar compared to other, compared to white men. So a, um, and well, this needed to change yesterday, <laughs> right? But success for me would be equal pay um, based on, on um, talent and um, what you deserve. So. I'm hoping that we, the 70 cents to a dollar crap just ends um, and we get paid what we deserve.
3: So for me, I think Ruben hit the, you hit the topic for me. It was making a more inclusive workplace. The first thing we did when we created the Office of Equality was like, okay, so we can go pound on recruiting's door and ask them where they are and what they're doing, but how can we make it so people can bring their 100% authentic self to work every day? How can we make it inc- more inclusive? How can we make it so someone is not the only in that room and always feeling like they're the only in that room? So that was the first thing we started to work on. So I think that is success, and I hope that's less than five years, right? Um, and then I think the other thing is um, the great opportunity that I feel with Salesforce is we're growing exponentially. So I really hate it when people look at equality like it's a slice of pie and we're going to run out and you're not getting any pumpkin pie, Right? <laughs> Right. I mean, like, we can't look at equality like that when we, because people always ask me, well, what about the people that don't believe in this doctrine? Well, it's not like you're losing something. Right. Equality is not a piece of pie. We can all have some. There's an abundance of this in the world. Right. So I think it's like realizing how we can bring everyone along on this journey. And like you were saying, tech has the opportunity to change the world, to change people's lives, to change their wealth, deliver a product that's amazing and can help so many people. And this is a journey that should be inclusive for everyone.
0: That's pretty fantastic. Um, I'm going to open up the questions for the panel after Ruben. Oh, I didn't forget you. I, I'm about to see. I was trying to set you up for a success, and he, he just blew it. <laughs> I was trying to see because you would. You just kind of messed it up. So it's, just go, Ruben. I just. You, you
2: just <laughs> I, it was a I, method I've, to my madness. I've been called bossy and aggressive. But... <laughs> He's bossy. <laughs> I, we share the food metaphors though, so I'm really I'm with you on that one. Uh, you know, five years, it's a very short time frame. Um, uh, I, I'm going to give you a call to action. Uh, don't work at a company that is not at least talking about, we're doing unconscious bias, is not talking about diversity and seeing it making it a value. Uh, when you go off and start your company, think about that. When you go and start your VC, uh, you know, make a, you know, offer to invest more than a million dollars in somebody who has a great idea regardless of what their background is. Uh, so the call to action is, you know, in five years, you know, it's, it's going to be slow. It's going to be so slow. But if the people in this room can make that change within their own organizations or in the organizations they create, that is step one. And you, know, you can have that change happen in five years. That can happen. And, of course, then if you have that opportunity, then you can educate another set of people to do the same thing.
0: Thank you, even though you messed up my flow. <laughs> um, so what I want to do now is I want to open it up to the panel. Um, and while we're doing that, I, we're gonna have, I'm going to give up my mic because I want these guys to be the ones to answer. Um, but what I want these guys to think about while we're handing out the uh, the mics is, You know, with the challenges of tech, why do you stay and why would you encourage other people to keep fighting a good fight to do this? Um, So I'm going to give up my mic while you guys think about the answer to that.
3: Well, I stay in tech. I love tech. I think it's fun. I think it's fast-paced. It's also ridiculous. Um, You can, like, dream up something and go make it happen. I just feel like the, the pace at which it moves is crazy, but I love it. And I just feel like if you have a good idea, people get behind you. Right?
4: Yeah. Hi, my name's uh, Gabrielle. I work for a company called uh, Cloudability. And we mentioned a couple times of, like, not being the only black woman. I'm the only black woman in my company. And I'd like to think that it's not only a challenge, but also there's a benefit. So whether it's, you know, only black woman or person, person, you know, you're from an underrepresented group or you're trying to get... The people who are kind of like the only black women in their organizations but like what's the benefit of being like kind of the only one who's like you in an environment that may or may not appreciate it to start I feel like
1: that's a trap like no, seriously I feel like we get this anytime somebody tells me oh I'm the only I've, I've gotten that oh how do you feel about being the one of the only black women to have raised VC funding over a million how do you feel about being one of the only black women to have done that how do I don't even start. Like that that gets to me so much because I feel like it's such a why why are you the only one? There are more qualified black women that deserve to be there and we need to challenge that. It's not okay to be the only one, right? And you know, we talk about So one of my mentors told me this and I think it's it's spot on. Technology can be biased. Are you working in a tech company? Okay. Technology can be biased. Right, we, we risk having a tech gap, same as the education gap, as the healthcare gap that we have today, that is not represented, representative of black people and the communities that we live in. And so that's why you shouldn't be okay being the only black person because you cannot represent everybody culturally, racially, um, you shouldn't be okay being the only white man either. Like, you need diversity on your team.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, this is related to the Molly's last comment. It's, um, so how can we promote inclusion without the implied exclusion for diversity? Implied exclusion. Yeah, so if you pull in a diverse team, it'll be of various races, but not the white guy. Which is one of the arguments I hear a lot on social media,
4: out in just the public, as opposed, I mean, yeah. I mean, I take
3: it, take it back to pie. There's plenty pie for everyone. I mean, honestly, I hear this argument and, and I think, and I'll admittedly, I don't get it because I'm a black woman. I will say I don't get it. So I don't understand that stance of, it's not like I'm taking something for you. So like, that's, my, that's why I feel so empowered at Salesforce because we're growing exponentially. So this job didn't go to a person of color and not go to someone else who's majority culture. No, there's room for everyone. There's plenty of jobs. We're growing, we're moving. So I have to candidly admit, I don't understand that, that theory. Ruben, explain it to us.
2: Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. There, there's. Uh, I, 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 fully subscribe to the pie metaphor. There's more than enough pie to go around. There, there, I, I recently had this. You know, there, you know, there's a joy in that we have employee resource groups at Pinterest, and I took backseat to uh, uh, Christine Flores, who's the new head of legal there, who is the the Hispanic woman leading the effort, and I, I, I had to see to her. So you know, there's she, she gets to lead the effort, but I'll back her up. So, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's no exclusive I- exclusion there, we're both, you know, uh, championing, championing an effort uh, and it doesn't exclude anybody else. Uh, and because we encourage all, every, any, anybody who's interested in participating in any of the employee resource groups. Can I
3: actually finish that? Yeah. Well, real quick, uh, the real answer. At Salesforce, we encourage people to join an employee resource group. So those communities that look like you, whether you're Latino force or out force. But I do believe that we don't let the white cisgender male off the hook. We have something called a community of allies, and we ask everyone to stand up and be an ally, and that's four easy principles of ask, meaning ask questions, right? I swear it's not a joke. Um, One of the people on my team, I might ask him, what does queer mean, probably once a month? I'm like, am I saying this right? Is this what queer means? And he's like, okay, let me sit down and explain to you for the fifth time, Molly, right? But ask a question, we ask people to listen, which clearly I'm not doing, listen, show up, and speak up. So we're trying to build a community of allies. So even, and then we're saying, if you don't look like one of those employee resource groups, show up, right? We have a saying for our Salesforce Women's Network called BAM. BAM means bring a man along. So they just had a lean-in circle to talk about parenting. Okay, men are in the room talking about balancing Salesforce and parenting as well, right? So I think you have to give them a role. You have to bring people on the journey because it's like everyone has a journey or an equality story or where they showed up in a room and didn't look like everyone, didn't feel like everyone. So I think you have to tap into what that is and just kind of bring them along to that.
0: Can I, um, I'm going to jump in really quickly, and then I will be quiet. (laughs) Um, So when I was, I told you, I was Microsoft for a while, and I remember we had this diversity circle, we was at a round table, and I'm not an introvert, but sometimes I just like, okay, you you can have it today, right? And so we were in this round table, and this guy was very adamant about, uh, I don't see why we're here, and you know, if we, if they were qualified, and I'm sitting at the table, if they were qualified, then we would have more of them here, and da, 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 he's going off. And I'm, I'm obviously not comfortable, right? I'm, at the time, I was the only uh, black female at Microsoft in the field that was an engineer. It, that we're talking about across the US. That's never a good feeling. And so now I'm at a table with this guy is going off. And the reason why it's really important for, I think, diversity for everyone, if you are in the majority, to speak up and say something and do that, is the reason why that guy, I think, not changed his mind, but at least thought differently, was my coworker, who was an older white male who had been in the field a long time, said this. He said, Tara won't say something, but I will. And he just laid out why that was inappropriate and why that didn't make sense and really championed for me. And I love him to this day for this because I wouldn't have lasted at Microsoft 12 years if I didn't have him at that point speaking up for me. So. I don't think it is an exclusion. I think if everyone is rowing in the boat for equality, it all works. Okay, now I'm being quiet.
1: One, one thing to that. The power balances today imply that there is no risk whatsoever of an implied exclusion. That's all I'll say.
5: Thank you. Um, my name is Arif Gersel. I've been in tech a long time. I worked at Microsoft with Terra back in the day, and let's just say Bill Gates was the CEO then. Um, I work with Molly now at Salesforce. Um, I appreciate everything all of you have had to say today. Um, you've been very intentional about your language. And so I think my comment to you is more of a question and I'd like to hear your thoughts around intentional language. I've been working in diversity for over 20 years now, not because I'm in HR, because I was always the only black engineer in the room or the only black product manager in the room similar to you. What I've seen over the last 20 years is the narrative has changed. We have gone from being very specific around race to talking about women in tech. As I engage a lot of CEOs at various companies, um, I ask them, "Where, where are we around race? It's why I appreciate this so much today. And what I hear from people is, well, the race thing is hard. We don't know how to solve race. So we're focusing on women. And I go, great, white women. And they go, no, 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 women. And I say, well, you just said race is hard. And so if you can't figure out race at a macro level for men and women, how have you figured it out for women? And so... There are two terms that bother me right now, right, the women in tech, because it means white women, and people of color. Um, Chinese people are colored, Indian people are colored, Caucasian people have a color. That doesn't indicate the real problem we're dealing with. And so when we obfuscate people of color, we, don't, we, are, we aren't intentional about the problem that I care about, which is people of the African diaspora around the world being in tech and entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts on that?
3: That's my real friendly coworker right there.
5: <laughs>
1: I think I'm about to be your friend, too. I love that. It's great. Capital One just launched Blacks in Tech for that same reason, right? Is, is that, you're right, like the narrative was always around women in tech and that mostly represented white women. And I, um, in one of the leadership meetings that we had, I brought that same topic up. Like, it, it's a very, very different experience for me as a woman, because I get asked this question, how is it for you as a woman versus as a black person? I'm like, I can't separate it. Um, but you know, I know that white women don't have the experiences I do, and I know that black men don't have the experiences that I do, but, th- but there is an opportunity here for us to talk solely about race. So we launched Blacks in Tech. So thank you for bringing that up.
3: So, well, you work at Salesforce.
1: But anyways,
3: um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And Salesforce was accused of the same thing. Um, I launched the first women's summit at Salesforce and everyone was like, "That you mean white women. And I was like, oh, snap, I didn't mean white women. But I think companies have very publicly went out and, and you know, said, OK, women. Um, I'm glad that Salesforce has a track record with the LGBTQ community, right? We have advocated for um, against discriminatory legislation in four states now. Uh, The first was Indianapolis, where then-Governor Mike Pence had some discriminatory legislation that said, um, I can't serve your wedding cake because our values align. But understand the meaning behind that was, today it's a wedding cake because you're gay, but tomorrow you have dreadlocks. You can't come in my pizza parlor. Okay, then it's brown eyes. So the point was to stamp out discrimination, period right? Because we all know once it starts, it starts rolling through, right? So we very advocately, you know, went out with LGBTQ uh, rights advocacy, advocated for women with equal pay and high potential programs. And then for people of color, yes, we get the, "Mm, what do we do? So it's empowering our employee resource groups, right? It's being very intentional about how we're recruiting, again, how we're tapping into the referrals of those diverse communities, those black people. I think everyone has flocked to black girls code or girls who code or anything we can do. And I think the other thing for us at Salesforce is we've determined some study that said kids need to be exposed to a computer by the fourth grade in order to be competitive in the workplace of the future. So we've started a program that's really not sophisticated or eloquent. It's called Principal's Discretionary Fund. Principal, here's some money. What do you need to do to empower your school? Some principals bought iPads, some people painted over graffiti. We have a principal in Oakland who bought a dentist chair. He said, kids can't learn because their teeth are rotting out their mouth. I got a dentist who will volunteer his time, but I can't get the kids to the dentist. If you got me a dentist chair with the water, with the drill, I could help these kids and they could get on a dental hygiene program. So we put um, 35 billion dollars into a principal's discretionary fund, and that's specifically in Oakland and San Francisco. So we encourage our leaders around the world: go to your public school, walk up to the principal, and say, "What do you need?" So what does that look like? I only have a, a team of 10, right? We got a school in Mission, uh, in the Mission District. Um, to adopt so literally we're like okay there's only 10 of us what can we do and we're like we could throw them a fundraising gala we know how to do that right and we're like okay so we can help you with a fundraiser and we can also get our employee resource groups out here a couple times a week to help teach the kids to code so we're trying to do what we can but i I definitely agree with you that this conversation doesn't always include black people we have to make sure that that happens that we're part of this conversation
1: i mean we need to be deliberate about it we're not shy to say black
2: right So you guys did a lot of talking about like, you know, the companies you're working at, how you're increasing diversity and in hiring intentionally. Uh, do you have any thoughts on basically moving the needle long term, where we get, you know, more people, you know, who are African or more women to actually study these things, so that they are simply more available out there, so that workforces can hopefully, you know, be diverse more easily in the future. I wish we were really, really profitable because that would help. <laughs> it does, you know. You, you know, Salesforce. You know, the, the, the example Salesforce provided. Uh, the, a lot of these companies, uh, Pinterest included, is are, what they're doing is they're going to local communities because there's a there's a recognition that a lot of these companies are setting up in areas that were traditionally. Uh, uh, basically there 's a lot of gentrification going on so there 's a lot of you know they 're pushing out a lot of uh, low income housing because they 're setting up in soma and they 're setting up in you know the, the and they 're having impact on the local communities because the kids are moving south the kids are moving away and and so there's been a lot of effort to do some outreach uh, into those communities uh, because we are, in fact, pushing them away. Uh, but it's a challenge. It, you know, the, uh, you know, As you highlighted, we need to hit people of color, not just people of color, but black people, Hispanic people, and, and be really targeted and really explicit. And, and rather than leave it as generic as people of color, you have to be explicit, saying, we want to get more black people into an education program. We want to get more. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't hired one yet. Oh, we will, but we will soon. But you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it, it is the intentionality. And, and, and if you don't see that in your organization, please you know, highlight it and say, hey, I think we should be sourcing and recruiting from these locations. And if not, starting to establish what the pipeline is for those areas.
6: Thank you. Um, My name is Ife and um, I work in a financial services company. So um, I'm also the only woman in my division, not in IT, but the division that I work in, which is about 30 people more. And for that, it's not a thing, I'm not like, oh yeah, I'm the only black girl. It's more like, then I have to be conscious not to feed the stereotypes for black women. I can not get mad at somebody for not inviting me to a meeting or something, because then it's kind of like, well, you know, like the aggressive, the angry black woman or anything, but what, and I think it's mostly unconscious bias, because I don't think a lot of people wake up in the morning and say, I will intentionally not invite this person to a meeting, I will intentionally, you know, question everything this person say, even though they're really hard working and, you know, they just want to work, but my question is, when this has happened, because sometimes it's so subtle that you don't notice until an accumulation of things have happened, you know, over the past couple of months, you not—you just remember this happened and this didn't happen and this didn't happen and you have to rein it in because you don't want to be the one that goes to HR and say, well, I have to have a conversation about this. Or you speak to your manager about it like quite often, so much so that you don't want to be that person saying, well, this person did this or this person didn't do this. And it can be really difficult because then you get in my like, what do I want to do? So how do you-
1: I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> this is everyday life.
6: Yeah. Right. How do you, how do you find a solution? You know, because if you can not talk to your manager, then who do you want to talk to without being blackballed? Because there's been cases where you speak to HR and one way or the other, your manager gets to know that you did go to somebody or your, or a higher authority to speak. So how do you, because if you're not happy, then what are you doing there? you understand. But I've been in IT for eight years. Most people don't really know that because they see you and they're like, the, when I started working, someone said, oh, uh, what do you intern for? Because I could only be an intern, right? Um, but it, it hurts so bad because you want to resolve this, but you want to do it in such a way that you don't want to bring so much attention on yourself and you don't want to feed the stereotype. So how do you go about it without, you know, getting into trouble for it and being
1: blackballed? Well, I don't have the answer and I can tell you that I, I, I can relate to that. What's your name, Ife? Yes. Ife. I, I can relate to that struggle. Um, I think you have a, a couple of options, right? The, again, knowing that I don't have the... the I, this is something that I struggle with as well. One is you have to be intentional about the organization you choose to work for and make sure you build a network outside of your direct line of report like a, a colleague of your managers that is trusted, um, somebody that, that's your advocate, that you can tell the good, the bad, a mentor, not an advocate. You can tell the good, the bad, the ugly, right? And they can help guide you, not necessarily to go talk back to your manager or, you know. I, I'll share with you that my challenge wasn't with leadership. It was with convincing the people that reported to me that I was worth reporting to, right? So it's it's a different dynamic but it's still the same it still puts you in that place where you're uncomfortable you don't want to be overly aggressive you don't want to be etc. cetera again that leads to like the only one there's statistics that show that if they're one of you you feel that way if there are two of you two black women you feel like competition so that's not great either but when there's are three or more you tend to collaborate with each other you tend to support each other you tend to support each, other, to support each other's careers you tend to amplify each other's voices and I guarantee you if there are more of you, you'll feel less that, like that. Right? So good luck with everything but you know, I hope that's helpful.
0: Um, I, we have uh, time for, We'll go ahead, I know we are running out of time and I'm going to give you guys a homework assignment but really quickly, uh, two more questions. I don't know who had the mic first. Uh, but, go ahead.
4: Hello. My name is uh, Greg Greenlee. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for your time and your, your answers, your wisdom. Uh, I run an organization called Blacks in Technology. Uh, we are a um, uh, online um, tech-focused media and community organization with over 2,500 members nationwide. Uh, and we also run a Slack channel with, with uh, about 1,500 members there as well. Uh, and one of the, the discussions that come up or one of the Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is around diversity is how to how do you quantify diversity and what I mean by that is um there's there's discussions where people are saying that you know diversity for diversity's sake is is no good um and businesses are in business to make money so how do you kind of quantify diversity when as it relates to the bottom line is there is there a number out there or is because that's that's something that people will come to us and say they'll say for instance you know Google is making billions of dollars so you know so what about diversity they're already making billions
3: Yeah, there's stats out there from McKinsey that say that companies that focus on gender and racial equality can outperform their competitors by more than 35%, right? I mean, I don't think there's a big tech company. I think I'm going back to Ruben's statement. If your company doesn't see, I know you run a nonprofit, but if they don't see why this is important, I think we've really moved past why diversity, right? And maybe I'm hope dreaming, but I thought we moved past why. Right. Like Ruben said, look at the example he gave of the the Latina woman who was from Spain who was able to say, you know, this should be the search engine or look at this term. I mean, there's cases where diversity is solving real business problems. So I just feel like we've moved past that. People that are still asking why. It's like, and if you, let them go.
2: And if you want, contact us, because we have a ton of research and paper access to research and formal research studies that say, if you want to solve a novel problem, you need a diverse team. Yes, you can solve a problem that everybody else has solved, and you can use you know, a, a, a subset of the population. But if you're just solving something new, something that hasn't been done before, which is the beauty of being in tech, you're, solving pro- you're taking one problem and then mutating it to you know, solve a different, different set of things, then you're going to need different people and different voices in the room to help you solve that problem. And it's not just gender, and it's not just background. It's, it's, you need everything that you can do to m- make that unique thing happen.
0: Okay. Okay, last question.
2: Hi, um, my name is Carrie and I, I work for a small startup in Seattle called UserMind. Um, and in, particularly in, small, in startups and in small startups, we talk a lot about the value of building the right culture, um, and that a lot of the startup um, success is based on building the right culture. Um, how do we work on building that right culture and interviewing and interviewing for um, culture fit without risking um, trying to interview for someone who reminds me of myself? Uh, you a, don't a, interview for culture fit. And period. It's a, and it's exactly what you said. So I'm going to give you the, the here's the here's the tactical advice. And I, again, there's a bunch of research on this, but here's the, everything that you need to know. One, write down the squeal, skills for the person that you need, because this is how you uh, this is how you avoid unconscious bias. You take you take the second you you use your second mindset. Basically, uh, there's you know two, there's a bunch of research on this, but basically you want to activate the parts of your brain that are just rather than when a person walks in the room and say she's a black woman, you want to activate the part that says, does this person have the skills? Write it down ahead of time. So what are the qualifications necessary for this person to succeed? Two, write down the questions that you're going to ask before the person walks into the room. Three, write down the answers that distinguish a good answer from a great answer from a mediocre answer. And if you take those three steps ahead of time of you know, what are the skills, what is the question, what is the rubric for success, then whoever walks into the room Will be that is the best way that you can avoid the unconscious bias in the in in the system and in the process. That one active step will eliminate, well, mitigate a bunch of the issues that you'll run into.
1: Nope. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for my wonderful panel. I have, before you guys go, I have a homework assignment for you. This is really brief. Um, there is a TED Talk from 2014 that's called Being Color Brave Versus Color Blind by Melanie Hopson. My challenge for all of you guys as a homework assignment is to watch that video and for you guys to go out and all be color brave versus color blind. Um, thank you guys all for attending and I appreciate your time.